It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul's taking your calls at 0818103103. You can text her WhatsApp 0862103103. And I had a fantastic night last night live at the Marquee. I went along to see the wonderful Dara O'Brien. I have seen him before. And, you know, he is a comedian that never, ever disappoints. He literally had the entire... I was going to say tent, the entire auditorium, shall we say, howling with laughter. He is just from start to finish. The guy is funny. He's just he has just every bone in his body, I think, is funny. And he dealt last night with the very serious subject of his own adoption. Of course, he was later. He was 35 when he discovered that he was uh, adopted. And then, of course, he did nothing about it until close to nearly his 50th birthday uh, when he decided to go trace his uh, birth mother. And then he had all of the usual problems that anyone who has ever gone through an Irish adoption in this country will know how difficult it is. Now, legislation went through yesterday that should make things a little bit easier for adopted people to find out who they are and who their birth mother is and getting their hands on their own birth search. But he went through the through, through the whole process and I just it was, it was clever the way he did it in that he had us laughing and then he had absolute silence inside in the venue when he was getting to very serious parts. You literally at one stage could have heard a pin drop. And, you know, when he spoke about going through... Um, uh, Tusla and going through social workers to get the information about who his birth mother was and then getting finally called into a meeting and the file being opened and he handed the information and it was, you know, and he had a copy of the information that he had received on the stage and it was a page of everything redacted, all of the information. All of the information was under these but big black blocks on the page which was his birth mother's uh, name etc and it was just and then the lengths he went to he did the usual that so many adopted people in this country have, have done they go to the birth deaths and registers they pull out all the books he was born in 1972 and he went down through it line by line by line with a ruler until he eventually discovered who his mother was and there, ha- there has been a, a happy ending for Darrow Breen in that he's met up with his birth mother and he has two half brothers and a half sister and uh, it all seems to be going Uh, really well but he dealt with that subject on stage the second half the bulk of the second half of the show deals with his uh, adoption and I was thinking as he was talking about it I mean I knew he'd been adopted I'm sure I saw him on the late late 
talk about it back in the early days of the pandemic or maybe it was early in 2020 before we'd actually gone into uh, lockdown. I had heard him talk about it so I was aware of it but I was surprised at a lot of other people who didn't realise that he had been adopted and didn't know the story so it did come as a surprise to a number of people but I was very conscious sitting you know in this you know large venue packed to capacity of other people who would have been adopted other people who maybe have gone down that journey that Dara was talking about last night maybe not a happy ending like Dara had also conscious there would have been people there who maybe gave a child up for adoption and in fairness to him at the end he did comment on that and hoped that you know that what he had spoken about today uh, or what he'd spoken about yesterday evening didn't upset people in, in any way but he acknowledged the hurt that goes with adoption and that it doesn't there isn't always happy endings for people in tracing their birth parents but it was an exceptional show if you went along last night I'm sure you would agree with me it was it really was fantastic um, well done to Dara O'Brien and I tell you if he was back again if he comes back again next year I'll be there. I will certainly be there. And live at the Marquee. Once again, it's just such a fantastic venue. Now, as far as I know, is this the last year of live at the Marquee in the venue where it is at the moment? I'm open to correction, but I think it is. But you have to give kudos to Peter Aiken um, for bringing the acts that they bring and to have them on our doorstep is, you know, fantastic. There was a time when we would always have to have gone to Dublin to go to any of those big uh, acts and to have it on our doorstep really is fantastic. And it was a beautiful evening as we were driving uh, through the city, heading out to to the Live at the Marquee uh, venue. And it was just lovely to see people sitting and having food and people strolling down the marina. It was just, it really was lovely. And there was a lovely feel about the city uh, yesterday. And so well done to Aiken for continuing with the Live at the at the marquee and it's just so well run and all of the people working there they're just so friendly and so helpful from the people who direct you in the car park to where you park your car to the bars that are in there the people serving in there to the ushers showing you to your seat the security everyone they're just everyone is in good form everyone's friendly everyone is helpful we really here in Cork know how to do those uh, uh, events and of course talking about live at the marquee Christy Moore is live at the Marquee tomorrow night, Saturday. And this is a gig that so many people are looking forward to because this gig was originally scheduled, wasn't it, for 2020? Because I know somebody was on to us during the week. They had the original tickets and, of course, the original tickets uh, can all be used uh, tomorrow night. So there's a very limited number of tickets available to Christy Moore live at the Marquee tomorrow night. Uh, A handful, I reckon, at this stage are still available at Ticketmaster.ie. But we have another set of those tickets to give away I will play a Christy Moore track a little bit later on with a clip from a Christy Moore track and as we've been doing all week you identify the song name and address text or WhatsApp and you remember the chance for a draw of winning our final set of Christy Moore live at the Marquee uh, tomorrow night now we're going to be talking about the census on the programme in a couple of minutes I'll be speaking with one of the statisticians from the Central Statistics uh, Office because as we know yesterday actually it was during the programme we heard that the preliminary findings of the Census 2020 had uh, just been released and the one thing that they have done from what I've just taken a look as best I could yesterday I'm planning on spending a lot of the weekend piling and pouring over these uh, figures but what the one thing it is it's laying bare the failure of successive governments to meet housing and other key 
infrastructural needs. I mean, the former head of the of special projects at the National Archives of Ireland, a historian by the name of Katrina Crow, is quoted in the paper today as saying something that I 100% agree with. She makes the point that census are tools that have been used for thousands of years, not just in this country, in countries all over uh, the world. You know, initially they were legislators used them, for example, to collect taxes, but they've always been used to assess the needs of the general public. However, she says the rich resource has not been used for its intended purpose, certainly in this country. She says our population is growing. The problem is there doesn't seem to be any connection between the census figures and government planning. She said, have you ever noticed or have you ever heard anybody mention, oh, we're going to have to build a whole lot of new schools there and new housing. Why? Because the census tells us that so many new children are in that area or that so many new couples are in that area and they're all going to need housing. She said, at the moment, we're in the middle of a housing crisis because obviously nothing that the census had to tell us over, say, the last 20 years made any difference to housing policy. She said, we've got a crisis with children getting places in schools, particularly children with special needs that was all predictable if you just took a look at any of the previous census records so she says we have this fantastic information from our census gatherings in the central statistics office but it not not necessarily been used for the purposes which it was designed for which really is a great great shame and it's something i've can never ever understand you know we go to the expense and the length of doing this very, very detailed census and census after census, we provide more information, more questions are added into it so that the powers that be have all of this information so that they can plan for the future. And then there just doesn't seem to be any uh, joined up uh, thinking. And of course, the figure that we mentioned yesterday, uh, 5.1 million souls now living in the state. And what it does mean is that we will have to have at least 171 TDs in the next doll. And the reason for that is it's to comply with the constitutional requirement that you must have at least one doll deputy for every 30,000 people. Now, at the moment, we have 160 TDs, so at least another 11 new TDs will be heading to Dáil Éireann after the next general election. Now, seemingly political parties are already combing over all of the preliminary census results in a bid to try to get an insight into possible changes for the next uh, election. The next Dáil can have up to 179 uh, TDs and each constituency, the least a constituency can have is three TDs, but they can have four and up to five. Now, the final census results is not due until April of 2023. So the Electoral Commission constituency reports for the Dáil and the European Parliament then will be expected a couple of months later. They're they're reckoning around July of next year. And after that, then it'll be a matter for the Oireachtas to legislate for revised constituency boundaries and who will be getting what areas will be getting extra uh, TDs. Some of the newspapers today and political commentators are speculating as to where extra TDs will be added on into what constituency. Now, obviously, there's been a big population increase in Dublin and in Meath and Kildare, the commuter belts, people working in Dublin but living in Meath and Kildare. So they're all expected to see increases. But obviously, 
All politics is local. We want to find out what's going on here in Cork. It's been speculated that Cork North Central will get an extra TD, but a possible extra seat could also go in the Cork East constituency and in the Cork South Central. As I say at the moment, that is all just uh, speculation. Anyway, we will discuss more about the census when we speak with the Central Statistics Office on the programme today. Somebody says, hi Patricia, just to let you know, today is National Bring Your Dog to Work Day. So can you give a shout out to all of our lovely furry friends? I wonder how many businesses are taking part in that. I like the idea of having dogs come to work. But of course, the problem is if you've got people who don't like dogs, if you've got people who are allergic to dogs, you won't have everybody happy with it. But if you're a business or an organisation that's allowing you to bring your dog to work on National Bring Your Dog to Work Day, then we hope that you are having fun. 0818 103 103. Somebody says, Patricia, we've too many TDs already. Well, the Constitution says we don't. The Constitution says we need more. We'll wait and see what happens. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. 12 weeks after census night, the Central Statistics Office has released the preliminary results for Census 2022 to chat about some of the information contained in yesterday's results. I'm joined by a statistician at the CSO and that's Deirdre Lynch. Good morning to you Deirdre. Good morning. And you're, you're welcome. Now it's normally every five years that you hold a census but because of Covid you did delay it by a year wasn't it? Absolutely. So this time round it was it, census night was 3rd of April in 2022 so this was postponed by one year due to the pandemic and it is important to note that it was six years since our previous census uh, so that was in 2016. Okay and you've got a lot of work done in, in 12 weeks that's a lot of work on behalf of the staff. It is a lot of work. Thanks for acknowledging that. Yeah, but it's a really positive story that has emerged from it. So it's 5.123 million people in the state on census night, which is a really positive story. Every county has increased in population and 49% of these were male and 51 were female. When we look at it in numerical terms, it's an additional 361,000 persons who are now in the state that weren't there in 2016. But looking at it historically, it's actually a, a really interesting story has emerged and that it's the highest population figure that we've had in under in over 180 years so since 1841 before the famine so it's really really a historical moment in time this this population figure and is that also unusual that every county saw an increase normally you'd see some counties with a decrease wouldn't you Exactly. So in previous census periods between 2011 and 16, there was actually a decline in the population in Donegal, Mayo and Sligo. So it differed to that. So, yeah, it has changed uh, quite a bit in terms of that trend. But it is important to note that people the net inward migration. So when I say that, I mean people entering the country, coming in, that that has increased this year to over 190,000 persons over the, the six years. Whereas in previous periods, so between 2011 and 16, this was actually a decline. So there was a point of people leaving the country at that point after 2011. So it's really, really interesting how it, it's changed. But but the every every county has experienced an increase in population. The highest was in Longford, 
with 14%, although coming from a smaller base. It was followed by the east of the country with Meath, Fingal and Kildare. The lowest population increases were felt in Donegal, Kilkenny, Kerry and Tipperary. And when we look specifically to Cork County, Mm. uh, it was an increase of 7.1%. And then with the housing, that increased by 6%. So a really positive story for all counties. Yeah, that's the one interesting thing. Besides the population figures, you released the information on on the housing stock. We didn't, while the population went up, the housing stock didn't go up as much. So exactly, that's correct. So the housing stock in 2016 went up by 120,000 units. So that was an increase of 6%. So the housing stock was over 2.1 million. This, while it didn't grow at the same rate as the population did, this grew at 6%, whereas the population grew at 8%. It's really important to note that that gap is narrowing. And when we compare it to the previous period between 11 and 16, it's where only 8,800 units were built. So it's less than a 1% increase where the population at that point increased by 170,000. So it's a really, really, it's moving in the right direction and the gap between the growth of the population and the housing is closing. I should say that occupied dwellings in 2016 did grow by 9%. So there's 151,000 extra households that are that are um, occupied by persons now. But if we just hone in a bit more on where the housing stock change has been felt. It was actually Kildare and Meath where the housing stock increased by 12%. Wicklow was up 9% and Louth and Dublin rose by 7%. It was less pronounced with 3% in each of Tipperary, Leitrim, Roscommon, Cavan and Donegal. So the more rural counties didn't feel that increase in the housing stock as much as, as the east of the country. But it's really important to note that in those countries where there was less of an increase in the housing stock, that the, occup- the number of occupied households did actually increase increase at twice the rate of the housing stock. So That's there are good. people yeah, yeah. That, that, that because absolutely. The, the, the fewer vacant properties there are fewer vacant properties and just before we delve into the analysis on vacant properties it's really important that we we understand what that definition means so at the point in time it was taken on census night and it doesn't necessarily mean that these properties are available for reuse or to house other people so it does contain some unoccupied dwellings that were there for a relatively short period of time so on, on foot of that we should note that it shouldn't be used as a proxy for um, long term vacancy and in this census period our enumerators were able to record a reason for vacancy this was confirmed by neighbours guests in the, the dwelling or local knowledge and these included rental properties seized, renovation for sale emigrated with relatives in a hospital or a nursing home. So these reasons were captured. But just to note on the rental property that this did include dwellings that were advertised as being for rent at the time of census. There were short-term lettings, there were Airbnbs and there were properties between lets. So with that being said, there were 166,000 vacant properties in census 2022. So this was 16,000 less than the previous census period. So that's a reduction of 9%, which is a positive story. At the state level, the census vacancy rate was 7.8%. But when we looked at the reasons, it was really, really interesting because we could see that of the 166,000, 21% of them were rental properties. And bearing in mind the short-term lets, the Airbnb, the, the, the ones that were between people or between lets, 
11% were for sale. So this included sale agreed or recently sold. So that was an extra 18,000 dwellings there. So we, we could look at this by county and it was really interesting what emerged in that Galway City and Dublin City actually had the highest number of vacant rental properties. The story the narrative changed when we looked at the more rural counties. So in Roscommon, in County Galway, in Mayo, properties were actually most vac- most often vacant because the owner was deceased. And then in the likes of Leitrim and Sligo, they had the highest number of abandoned farmhouses. So it's yeah. really, really interesting to see how the, the narrative shifts when we look at the county level and, and what the reason for vacancy was. Yeah, and, um, and the huge difference between rural and and urban there. And then Deirdre, holiday homes, you don't class them as vacant? No, they're not classed as vacant but there was an increase in those in 2022 so they increased by 4,000 and they are where you'd expect them to be so along the coastline. So there was 66,000 of those in census 2022. We have more analysis on this on our website on cso.ie if your listeners would like to go on and look at where these are and and what what the figures on those are. But I think we should just note that the electoral division change in County Cork and and Cork City as well. So just to name a few, uh, in Cork County, the greatest increase at electoral division area was in Bear and Ahel. So they both experienced an increase of 32% in the population, which is a positive story for those. And then when we look at Douglas and Ballinacolic, these are still the two largest electoral divisions in in terms of population in Cork County. So they have, have so Douglas has 22,000 persons, whereas Ballinacolleg has 20,000 persons. So these were an increase of 6% and 10% respectively. And when we look at Cork City, we see that the biggest population increase was seen in Farinaferesi with an increase of 44% in the population and City Hall A. So that was an increase of 34% in that particular electoral division. So that was up to 1,100 persons. But in Cork City, the largest EDs in terms of population were Mahan A with 5,300 persons and Mahan B, which was 5,100 persons. So so increase there at the, at the local level as well. And if your listeners are interested, we have maps and, and tables and a detailed publication on where this change is felt if, if they want to log on to cso.ie and, and view the statistics. Well, of course, there's lots of talk in the paper about extra TDs at the next election because the Constitution states one TD for every 30,000 people. So there's much speculation, certainly here in Cork, as to how many extra TDs we could have at the next uh, general election. So lots of lots of information so far. And as I say, I'm, I'm really blown away that in the 12 weeks, how much you've managed to uh, accumulate when do you expect more results from Census 2022, so our, Deirdre? Our official publications will begin in quarter two of next year. So all going well, it will take off in April 2023. So what we'll do is we'll go off now, we'll scan the census forms, we'll process them and we'll begin to analyse them. So we'll have the detailed information that the public build out and, and that people engage with. And we would like to thank the public for their, their level of engagement and for, for being so positive about the census. So we'll have a lot more attribute information and detailed breakdowns of where people are coming from and where, where they've located and their commuting times, commuting patterns. So there's a lot to, to delve into. So those will begin in April of next year. 
Um, people are asking about the time uh, capsules. Do you know, you would know this age, did many people fill in the time capsule? The time capsule had a very positive Did response. it? I'm Absolutely. so thrilled to hear that. <laughs> Absolutely. So we were delighted with that and the feedback we received was really positive. People were explaining that they were writing everything from their family trees to Mayo for Sam. So it was really, <laughs> really interesting with what people were, were putting in the time capsules. So we haven't got figures on that just yet and we won't be releasing any information on that on, under the Stats Act until 100 years. But yeah. next year we do hope to come out with the figure of whether the field was filled in or, or not. And at least we can see at the household level how many people did engage with that. But otherwise it will be 100 years before that. Yeah, so that because somebody's asking that, when will, we, will you release any of the information? But you, but you won't because that was the promise you made to people. Absolutely. Yeah. So that de- the, the detail that people wrote into that time capsule was confidential and we cannot release any information on your census form until a hundred years has passed so that information won't be released or looked at in any great detail until a hundred years as we're required by law to do that however we can establish on our systems we can scan whether the field was filled in or not mm. so we will be able to give it a figure potentially on how how that was filled out yeah so and, 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 and I take it that will dictate will you include the time capsule going forward do you think on we, future future we census? really hope to yeah we, we weren't expecting such a positive um, feedback. Of course there will be consultation for future censuses where people can let us know what questions they want and what information they want included and we will conduct that again but just I suppose anecdotally seeing how interested people were in this we would expect that something similar would, would take place again going forward. Yeah I'm, I'm, I'd be interested to see I think other countries are going to follow suit because I think worldwide it got attention. People you know just captured people's uh, imagination and dear did, did I read somewhere that work has commenced on the preparation for the next census already oh, yes <laughs> there has been already we're looking forward so tw- so the next census will be in census 2027 so there is a team in census that are working on it there it, it, I, I expect there will be an online um component available for users to engage with at that particular point but I suppose it is important to say the work is still being undergone and there'll be consultation and there will be uh, investigation as to how best to do that so yes work is is on uh, ongoing. As soon as one is finished you've got to get working on the next. It just shows the amount of work (laughs) that goes into it. It's terrific. Listen I really really enjoyed our chat Deirdre. Thank you for that. No doubt we'll talk again about Census 2022 but in the meantime thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Deirdre Lynch, who is a statistician at the Central Statistics Office. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Irish National Seismic Network has been locating and detecting earthquakes in and around Ireland for over four decades. And this year, they added a new station to their network at the fabulous Mitchellstown Caves. To find out more, the owner of the Mitchellstown Caves, John English, joins me. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Oh, Thanks for having us on. Well, always great to chat to you. How was Mitchellstown Caves selected as a station to monitor earthquakes? Um, you see, last year, the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies, they monitor all the seismic stations in Ireland. They approached me in the hope of getting a station in the cave, you know. And you see, um, they have six stations already and are hoping to increase to about eight. And there's some already here in, in, in the south, isn't there? 
Yeah, they've um, one in Wexford and they've one in Castletown Beer, but there was a gap in between. So they decided and, Mitchestown Caves. Yeah, and the, the main reason to pick the caves, when they check the Galtee Valley here and where the cave is located, to the very quiet area, there's no um, heavy machinery or quarry blasting, which would affect the seismic station. Mm. And then they're all saying about weather would have would be very good to have in the cave because to be 200 feet underground. Yes, it wouldn't be affected by wind or anything like, like that. that. yeah. So, so it's a seismograph. What, what, does yeah. it, what does it look like? It's about, um, it's very surprisingly small. It's about 12 inches high by about 9 inches wide. That's the seismograph and that's in the cave. And the way they set it up then, it was difficult. They ran a cable in all the ways for about a kilometre underground out of the cave entrance to a GPS antenna, and that beams all the data to Dublin. All right, so you, you don't physically monitor it, it's all done no, automatically. It can be viewed live in in Dublin. It takes about 10 seconds from, from the time it reaches from the bottom of the cave to Dublin. And it got installed in May. Has it already detected earthquakes? Yeah, we've two picked up already. One was in um, southern Peru, and the other then was... Um, just off the coast of the Fiji Islands, the Pacific. So any magnitude above six anywhere in the world, it'll pick up. It's amazing how the whole world is connected. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about the one in Afghanistan, the awful one? They got one? that the other day Did as it? well, yeah, Did it was a 6.1. Because you get a lot of school tours, and this is going to be fascinating for children. Of course, yeah, to all the geography classes we get, and they're here, then it's on the curriculum about caves and the formations, and this will be a whole new aspect as well with the seismograph. And we're hoping to get a display model in the cave as well for the schools. Also, the children, can, yeah, because the, the one that's there, people won't get up close to that one. No, you see, the problem was um, with people walking through the cave, their footsteps could affect us. Oh, yeah, yeah, because it would be very sensitive to very any, sensitive, any, yeah. any kind of movement. So tell us, how is, how is the Mitchestown Caves going, uh, John? Well, um, we're getting back to normal. Like, we were locked down there for about two years. So since Christmas now, the school tours have started. And it's the first time in two years with school tours. And the last week, now, we had the first Germans and Americans. So they're just starting to come back. So, like, our peak time now is July and August. So hopefully, you now it'll be coming back. And people still traditionally just knock on the door and say, I want a tour. That's it, yeah. Come to our house. We're doing tours, what, 200 years now. Yeah. But you, you to our farmhouse and you get your tickets and you're brought in then about a kilometre into the cave. Like it's famous for its static sites and static mites. You know, it was one of the most famous in Europe. And you've you've been recording music down there? We had, we had concerts. This year we've no concert, but every year we had concerts. Cock Opera House did a lot of shows down there. Yeah. And I think last time I was talking to you with Gavin James down there. That was it. Yeah, that big concert that was recorded. That was recorded. That was during lockdown, so t- there was no audience. Yeah, yeah. Which is a pity, you know. Yeah. Was it was it tough during lockdown for you, John? Not having anyone calling? Uh, it was. It was very unusual. The first time they were open 50 years. So the first time we had actually nobody coming, you know. But then we got a lot of work done here. That was one. You know, we installed new lighting systems and all in the cave. So it gives us a chance to work like that. And do you love going down into the I caves? Do, yeah. yeah. We're down there since we're I'm the sixth generation by the family now involved with us. And what what is it? What is the? I mean, there I've been there. They're stunning. But what is the attraction? It's, first of all, it's the excitement. You're going two hundred feet underground, and you win about a kilometre. And then it is 
textbooks examples of sanitised dynamite. Yeah. You get a full guided tour. And then, like all the events and all, we mention all those in the tours, you know. But you, people get a shock because the entrance is very small. It's only a small hill. So and then when you go in and you see it the grid. It opens up into caverns. They're about 200 feet by 60 feet high. Yeah, yeah. And there's, and there's almost a, there's a sense of peace, isn't there? It is, yeah. And you yeah. hear the water dripping. And we try and give some groups a few moments in darkness because you will never experience darkness like that any place. And remind us how they were discovered. Um, 1833, Michael Condon, he was quarrying limestone at the entrance and he lost a crowbar and he removed a few boulders and he found a cave in three kilometres lint. And soon after the discovery, then visitors started coming. So my own family started bringing him down by candlelight. Until <laughs> so 1972, and my father, Jackie English, he developed it then. And it was the first cave in Ireland with electric lights and steps. Yeah. And you've, you're online and everything now. You have a website up and running. We do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you're open, open for the summer season. That's the, the main message. And a, That's a, it, yeah. Yeah, and a, a, a lot of school tours, which is terrific. Listen, continued good luck and, and well, well done on the measuring of earthquakes. Let you never measure an earthquake in Ireland, though. But listen, a pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you for that, John. Thanks very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. John English there, who is the owner of the Mitchellstown Caves 0818 John Paul taking your calls uh, Helen in Skibbereen actually was on to us earlier just to give a mention to this to say that she just had to, you know when you're flicking around on the TV and she was she flicked on to more four now more four that's the digital channel offering for Channel 4 and she said during the week uh, there was a fantastic programme and it was great to see West Cork featured on a programme it highlighted the fantastic scenery of West Cork and in particular Helen said she wants to say well done to Mags Reardon of the Bumblebee Flower Farm in Drimmer League because they actually featured on the programme now I was unaware of this programme but John Paul tells me the name of the programme is Ireland Coast and Country and it airs every Wednesday night at nine o'clock on more four. But last week it featured. Now, I'm assuming the fact it was on last week that you'd be able to get it maybe on, on catch up TV. But it's called Ireland Coast and Country. And thank you to Helen and Skibbereen for telling us about it. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed commenting on the census that we kicked off the programme with and by the way thank you to people who thought uh, Deirdre Lynch who joined us in the Central Statistics Office what a great talker she was yeah and she, so I think whenever you speak with statisticians who've been poring over these figures for the last uh, 12 weeks they are so invested in their job and they so love their job and they're so passionate about their job it always comes across when you talk to them uh, about it so thank you to people who took time out uh, to send in texts to say that they enjoyed my chat with uh, Deirdre Mossy says Patricia, no wonder the hospitals, the doctors, the nurses, the consultants are all under pressure in our hospitals if the population has increased big time. And yet we still have the same number of doctors and nurses and uh, consultants. The HSC knew these changes were taking place and did nothing uh, about it. Also says, and yeah, and that's the point I'm making about the, the stats are there from the Central Statistics Office. The very 100% reliable information is there. And yet the planning doesn't seem to, they don't seem to use the information that the Central Statistics Office has from the census, they just don't, the powers that be just don't seem to use that information uh, correctly. Massey also wants to comment on the 1% of civil servants 
who are getting their 10% backdated pay increase. Now, Mossy, I'll pull you up on that because they'll go nuts if they hear you saying it's a pay increase because they say it's not. The 1% is going, it's about 4,000 people on the 1st of July. It's all to do with the FEMPI cuts during the recession when everybody in the public service took a pay cut. Can I also add people on social welfare took pay cuts People in the private sector took pay cuts. Anyway, there was legislation put in place to pay back the money and to to give back the money that was lost because of those uh, FEMPI cuts. Anyone under 150,000 working in the public sector, they've already had their money back. But it was the people over 150,000. And uh, this week it was announced 30 million. I think it's, it's costing and it gets paid out next Friday. I think it's the 1st of July. Anyway... Massey says uh, it seems that the media have moved on from this uh, story to something else and it is okay in adverted commas that these civil servants get the increase with so many people struggling at the bottom of the ladder. It is a difficult pill indeed to swallow and a lot of people very, very annoyed about it when that story broke, including, I think, the government themselves. I think they did everything that they could to not to have to give this money back. But of course, they again quoted there's legislation in place. They could have been taken to court if they didn't pay the money back to the people earning over €150,000 a year. Now, on the uh, staying with the census figures, the, the other story that's coming out from the census figure is that it is now more than likely, I think it's definite, that we're going to have more TDs when we head to the polls for the next election, which if this government lasts, will be in about two and a half years' time. And the Constitution says one TD for every 30,000 people. So they reckon about 171. Now, it'll depend on, on boundary changes and the various constituencies. Uh, and we won't know for sure, certainly until after the final results of the census is out next April and then July, uh, I think it's July of, the f- of next year that we should have more information as to who, what areas will be getting extra TDs. But a lot of people are annoyed about the fact that we would be even considering getting any TDs. Let me give you just some of the texts uh, coming in. More TDs? How could my day get any worse, <laughs> says this Dexter. I guess we won't change, we can't change the constitution. They, the TDs, will never have a referendum to reduce the amount of TDs and John says Patricia I heard you saying that we we need more TDs it's not me saying we need more TDs the constitution dictates that we are to have more TDs have a look at who we have at the moment in all of the parties all of them seem to just bring home big uh, salaries John feels that politics isn't working for us at the moment it has to stop and then John in the city says I think that uh, if we are to have new TDs, then it should be put to a referendum of the people, as John feels uh, many uh, people would, if it went to a vote, should we have more? Should we change the constitution so we don't have one TD to every thousand, to every 30,000 people? John reckons in a referendum that would be defeated and therefore the constitution would have to be changed. And he says, if you compare us to other countries with a much higher population base, than we have. We are already overrepresented. And he cites one example of the city of Birmingham in England. They have 10 MPs and they have a population of 2.4 million people. So he says we have an overrepresentation here. So a lot of people saying put it to the people. But can I remind you and bring you back to 2013 when we did have a constitutional referendum? It was let me uh, let me remind myself of it. It was the 32nd Amendment of the Constitution and it proposed that we abolish 
the Senate, which was the which is the upper house of the uh, Aractus. And that was rejected despite opinion polls saying to the contrary that it was that it was going to pass at the time. Now, it was a narrow enough majority, but just under 52 percent of people in that referendum voted no to abolishing the Senate and just over 48% of people said yes. And at the time, we had a coalition government of Fine Gael and Labour and both parties, Fine Gael and the Labour Party, both supported abolishing the Senate. And at the time, I remember because we did a lot of... of interviews and a lot of pieces on it in the lead up to that to that referendum they the both the coalition parties of Fine Gael and Labour were saying that it would save at the time back in 2013 I'm assuming this figure has changed it would save 20 million euro in spending and obviously there would be fewer politicians now at the time Fianna Fáil who were in opposition they opposed the proposal on the grounds that voters should demand real uh, reform. But anyway, it was rejected. So the people have been asked in the past and not too long ago in the past, 2013 was when that referendum happened. So to say if we had a referendum, would people vote not to have as many TDs? You don't know. You simply don't know until all of the until all of the votes are counted. But thank you for your texts uh, on that. But there's a lot of people out there feeling we have enough TDs as it is. Can I say well done uh, to the outgoing mayor of Cork County? Today is Gillian Cochlands this morning. Gillian Cochlands last uh, last time as mayor of the county of uh, Cork. And reading the paper, she says her tenure over the past 12 months has, su- has surpassed all of her expectations. And I think she has been an outstanding mayor of uh, Cork County. I think we've always been very lucky in our mayors in both Cork County and in uh, Cork City. And they've always represented us so well. And of course, this morning, uh, I take it before the close of the programme, we should know for sure, the name of the new mayor of Cork County for next year. And it's expected to be the independent councillor, Danny uh, Collins. He's expected to be elected uh, new mayor. The annual general meeting is happening uh, this morning. So we will wish Danny good luck, but we will wait until we get the official word that he has been uh, voted in. Came across this one today and I I have to think about this. I don't know how I feel about this one. It's to do with Amazon have come up with a new feature that they're going to be bringing to their Alexas, you know, their speakers, their smart speakers, whereby you'll be able to hear your dead relatives talk back to you on your Alexa. The tech giant hopes to soon update the artificial intelligence behind its popular Alexa system with the ability to mimic a person. Now, it will have to be based on 60 seconds of their recorded speech. The company said that one clear purpose of this is to be reminded of loved ones who have passed away. Amazon say that while the artificial intelligence can't eliminate the pain of loss, it can definitely make the memories last. And the tech giant yesterday showed off the technology at a conference that they held in Las Vegas. In the demonstration, a child asked, Alexa, can grandma finish reading me The Wizard of Oz. The Alexa speaker then confirmed the request in its usual voice before switching to the softer voice of an older woman based on previously uploaded recordings of the deceased person speaking. Now, Amazon didn't didn't specify a release date for the technology, but they say they have this technology update and that they are going to, to release it. The technology 
could spark a new debate on the ethics and the rights involved because obviously you're going to use the person's voice after the person has passed away. Now, anyone who's ever uh, lost a loved one, there has been a common practice. Now, well, I don't know if it's common practice, but I certainly, I've certainly heard of uh, people who have rang a deceased loved one's mobile phone so that they can hear the voicemail in order that, you know, they, and some people seek great comfort from that to hear somebody's voice, somebody that has passed away. So will there be an opening? There will. There certainly will be people who will very much like the idea of this because remember, wasn't there, it was, there was a company that did, um, they were deep nostalgia, I think they were called, where you could send on a photograph to them and they animated the photograph. So it made the, fo- made the people in the photograph almost well come to life they they actually moved in it a lot of people found it very freaky because obviously it was of of a, d- a deceased people but there are a cohort of people who like that idea of you know even though the person is gone they want everything that they can to be reminded of that person so Alexa or Amazon have just announced that Alexa will be and if they've got the, the artificial intelligence to do it you, you can imagine that they're going to be the first of the smart uh, speakers to do it but as I say I just don't know how I feel about it. It's one of those things I would really have to think about. Would I want to hear my dead relative uh, speak? Um, and yet, would I take comfort from it? I probably would. 0818 uh, John Paul's taking your calls and he tells me that we've had a number of calls in over the last few weeks on grass cutting at the Old Court Cemetery in Donnera. And we have been on to Cork County Council to find out if there any plans to cut the grass at the Old Court Cemetery in Donnerail. And they tell us that grass cutting at the Old Court Cemetery in Donnerail falls under the remit of Cork County Council and is included in the schedule of works over the coming weeks. OK, so it is on the list, basically. And we know and we have heard that contractors have been brought in and are cutting grass. And then we had that lovely gentleman, John, who contacted us from the CE scheme, who was uh, quite upset. He and two other colleagues, there's three of them on a CE scheme, and they're going around the North Cork area doing their best to cut as many graveyards as they can. But they are swamped with the amount of work that they have to do. So it's not that these graveyards have been forgotten about. They are due to be cut. But I haven't, I can't unfortunately give you a date as to when they will be cut. 0818 103 103. C103 Jobs. Site operative with welding ability is wanted 085 A warehouse operative slash stock controller that's wanted in Mallow. CVs to carry.murphy at osborne.ie. Raymond O'Neill Insurance there in Bantam. They've got a vacancy for a personal lines advisor. Email CVs to Billy at one Billy, sorry, at O'Neillinsurance.ie. And a bar person is wanted for the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. Kieran is your contact 087 7813541. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Just on the number of uh, TDs, uh, somebody says, just to point out for the crack, if nothing else, when you're talking about the number of TDs in the next doll, the 31st, and this is Dennis, this is a man in the know, the 31st doll had 166 TDs. Currently, we have 160 TDs 
in the 33rd, that's in the 33rd doll. In the one in the middle, the 32nd doll, there was an increase of two from the 32nd doll. So before we talk about increasing the number of TDs, we should restore the previous ones. And, and am I assuming those numbers changed all based on, on the, uh, it's all based on the census, the numbers in the population base. And then, of course, there was boundary changes. We lost TDs and we put uh, constituencies together and the number of TDs were amalgamated. So I think that's why it went down to uh, 160. But basing it on the one t- for every 30,000 people that's where this figure of 171 now that's not to say that they will put in 171 it'll depend on uh, there's an, an election commission's constituency report which is going to be done for the Dáil and the European Parliament so that's expected to come out next year in July of 2023 they'll wait for the final census results in April of 2023 and then they'll make the decision about will do constituencies have to be changed do boundaries have to be changed and there's always uproar amongst sitting uh, TDs when they decide to change the boundaries because, you know, somebody can be in the same area and lose half of their core vote. So there's always, always problems with that. John says, Patricia, we, did, we didn't need the census to tell us that the population is rising. Sure, our back door is wide open. Everybody's welcome to come to good old Ireland. Come in, we'll feed, we, we'll feed, we'll close you and we'll put a roof over your head or we'll even throw you on a hotel floor. And yeah, that's shocking what's happening with some of the refugees. And it was in a hotel in Dublin, wasn't it? There was li- literally no room at the inn. And Pat in Domanway says, Patricia, the census is just a way of keeping an eye on people. It's for no other reason that I can see this, Pat. Well... It's not. I mean, the what it's there for. It's there for the planning for the future, so that they know how many people are in 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 a particular area. They know because they ask quite extensive questions about disabilities, so they'll know how many wheelchair users are in an area, how many people are visually impaired in an area. Uh, they look at how many children are in a household, so they'll know how many people how many young people are going to need to go to primary school, how many young people are going to need to secondary school and also just by the fact that the population is rising in an area they'll know that for example a host- the local hospital might come under pressure because there's more people living in that area and if there's more people living in that area they're going to need more GPs, they're going to need more dentists so there's a lot of really really valuable information I, I don't hand on heart believe it's just to keep an eye on people but it should be used for the purpose that it's designed for and that's for the planning and make, make sure that they plan things going uh, forward 0818103103 and a listener this is on broadband now I know John Paul is, is trying to get through to air for somebody else who's having a problem with their broadband but a listener I'll just throw this out to see if there's anybody else in the area can let us know imagine broadband says this listener anybody else in the West Cork area having problems with their imagine broadband this listener says they keep losing theirs she, this listener reckons it's down more times than it's up and I work from home, which is a nightmare. And yet I always that always disappoints me because there's so much push to get people to work from home. And it's great for rural areas in particular. If we have people remote working and, you know, they can bring uh, such vibrancy to a local area and it can bring money into the local economy. But that's really frustrating for people if they are deciding and trying to work from home and the broadband keeps going down. So imagine broadband and we're talking about the West Cork area. If you're a customer how has your broadband been of late? If you can let us know, please. 0818 
103103 or you can text our WhatsApp to 0862103103. Now, popular tourist attractions across Cork are welcoming back visitors from near and far as the summer season hots up. Staffing problems in hospitality and the cost of rental cars have been some of the issues that certainly we've been highlighting on this programme in recent weeks. So our reporter, Mairead Tuig, we asked her to go and spend some time in Kinsale. Now, they've been welcoming back visitors over the past few weeks and she sent us on this report. It's... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Absolutely beautiful here. It's, it's greener and prettier than we ever heard or saw pictures of. Connie Mathis and her husband from North Carolina are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. They rented a car as part of their trip. It's expensive, but it's been well worth it. We, we don't do the bus tour type thing. We like to do our own thing, and it's amazing the things we've seen on little side roads, you know, little, the little things. We visited a toy soldier factory yesterday. Just a little place out in the country, but it was so much fun. So uh, you couldn't do that if you were on a tour group. So we, we, we're probably missing a lot of the bigger things, but we're enjoying the little things. Kinsale, a tourism hotspot, is enjoying the buzz of seeing visitors exploring the area. Liam Edwards is owner-manager at Jim Edwards. There's no doubt about it. The Americans love Kinsale and they love Ireland, you know. So, I mean, they, they've had two or three years without, without Ireland in their system. So that we knew the pent-up demand was there, you know, and we're lucky in Kinsale. We're started the wildest language way we've got the natural beauty of Kinsale we've got the old head of Kinsale the golf course is world class so you're getting golfers so you're getting a mixture of visitors coming to Kinsale and you know it's as I said before it's great to see them back 
Liam says they're looking forward to a busy time ahead once all the school holidays have started. I think once the kids get off school, we think we're going to get a mixture of some people who are just not ready to travel abroad yet. We have the international visitors here, so we are looking for a bumper season and we're looking... we're happy to be open, restriction-free, and it's, yeah, we're, we're very positive down here. Liam says it has been a tough couple of months, with staffing being an issue for many. It's a huge issue in Kinsale, but look, the more I'm talking to other people around the country and the more I'm talking to people around the world, it's a global issue. I'm talking to a lot of American visitors who are talking about the issues they have in their towns and restaurants where they are seeing restaurants not operating seven-day a week. And I suppose that, that's what's been seen in Kinsale, and not alone in Kinsale, obviously around the whole country as well. So yes, we have, we have our issues um, recruiting at the moment. We're, we're nearly there, we're getting there, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's been a tough couple of months. Tom Kay owns the supper club with his wife, Gronia. I mean, it's fantastic. It's a return to normality. You know, that's what we were used to for years. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a tough couple of years we've gone through, but we're delighted to see them all back and, and they've come back in their droves. Wow, what do they love about Kinsale? I mean, it is the gourmet capital of Ireland. They love the restaurants here. I mean, anybody who's been to Kinsale knows how beautiful it is as well. I mean, it's, its location on the water is just stunning. The streets are beautiful. There's great shops, restaurants and hotels as well. Tom says staffing has impacted a lot of businesses. Me personally, uh, no. I, I've been very lucky. We managed to, uh, to hold on to a lot of our staff since uh, pre-COVID um, and picked up some new ones more recently. I mean, staffing is, is a global issue. It's not, it's not based too much in Ireland or Kinsale. It's everybody's feeling the pinch at the moment and that's really difficult for people. The countdown is on to Kinsale Arts Weekend, which kicks off on July 7th. Eileen Haddon says there's a lot to look forward to. Kinsale always enjoys, um, you know, a lot of tourists. But this year, everybody has to work hard to make sure that our offering, you know, remains fresh and remains relevant. And it's okay. It's lovely to come to Kinsale and enjoy the the harbourscape and and the town itself. But I think people were always on the lookout for some, you know, entertainment, which makes the experience even more exciting and even more memorable. And I think that's what the Arts Weekend um, contributes. Uh, the sound of the seagulls in the background as well. Thanks to Mairead Tuig, our news reporter who went to Kinsale and for all of the people who took part in her report. Beautiful Kinsale, welcoming back tourists. Long may it continue. Now Pat in Mallow contacted the programme and actually supplied us with some photographs of sewerage running into the River Blackwater. It's at Bally Ellis in uh, Mallow. Now, according to Pat, he says it's been happening for a good while and it's not that he just came to us on the radio station to say, can you do something about it? He's actually reported this sewerage going into the River Blackwater to Irish Water, but he feels literally nothing has been done. He also says that the EPA are aware of it and he just got a bit frustrated with the whole thing this week and he came out to the radio station and supplied us with photographs where you can clearly see that uh, sewerage is going into the River Blackwater. So we contacted Irish Water on Pat's behalf and on behalf of others who are concerned. And it's horrible to see sewerage going into our lovely river. So we contacted them to say, look, what's going on here? And they straight away say yes that they have received a complaint so I'm assuming that's from Pat's in relation to what they say is discharge from the wastewater treatment plant in Mallow and they say it is being investigated at the time. Now they say that the team can confirm there are no operational issues at the wastewater treatment plant and the discharge from the plant is fully compliant with its licence. Now they are engaging with Inland Fisheries Ireland and they've confirmed that there's been no 
fish kills reported to them in the Mallow area. So you take it from that. Whatever is being discharged into the River Blackwater, hopefully and thankfully, isn't affecting the fish. Irish Water, they say, has a large improvement project underway in Mallow at this time. And that's the plan for that is to upgrade both the wastewater networks and the treatment plant. They say if any remedial works are deemed necessary at the discharge point, the one that we've got the photograph of from the plant, following on from this investigation that's underway, they say they will endeavour to complete them as quickly as possible. So we now have to allow them the time to carry out this investigation. I don't know at what stage they're at with the investigation. When did the investigation start? You would assume that it started as soon as Pat contacted them. And if that be the case, then hopefully if they need to do anything, any kind of remedial work it will it will be done and it will be done sooner rather than later and no doubt Pat in Mallow who contacted us this week will keep a very very close eye on it and please keep us updated Pat but thanks to Irish Water for their response 0818 103 103 and just to anyone in the let me see what area this was this came in earlier and we're investigating this as well oh Castle Magner we had a listener on to us from Castle Magner to say they were having big big problems with their air with their broadband and uh, wondering you know could we do something about it I reckon it was gone I think they said for about um, five days let me see where it was um Castle Magna surrounding areas, no air or Wi-Fi for the last five days. And again, this listener is saying, Noel is saying, so much for trying to work from home. Any help would be would be much appreciated. So we are now on to air to find out what's going on in Castle Magna and to see there's there's obviously some issue there. But if we can find out, are air aware of it? And if so, what are they doing to rectify it? 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Well known Midwest radio broadcaster Tommy Marin is coming to Cork next weekend for two nights at the Everyman Theatre with his new play entitled. The Three Hail Marys. It's described as a rip-roaring comedy. And I'm delighted to say Tommy Marin takes time out to talk to us this morning. Good morning to you, Tommy. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, well, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, your play is set in a nursing home and the three central characters are all called Mary and they suffer from dementia. Tell me more. Well, yes, it's true. They all suffer from dementia, different forms of dementia. They've been great friends in this nursing home for uh, over 11 years. And the play takes place on the day when all three of them are being moved away to separate nursing homes. It's to do with health and safety. And it's their last day in the nursing home together. And they decide to tell each other their life stories. And Mary O'Neill, Mary O'Toole and Mary O'Brien, through the course of this play, Uh, tell their stories. The comedy comes in when one of them leaves the room and the other two start to relay the story they've just heard and they get it completely mixed up. And even though it is a rip-roaring comedy, as you say, it has that very serious uh, undertone, which is the undertone of memory loss or dementia. And when I wrote it, it was obviously a nerve-wracking experience because the last thing one would want to do would be to offend people. But I can safely say, uh, Patricia, with hand on heart, that everywhere we've gone with this play, we were in the Olympia for seven nights last week. We've been all over Ireland, and to a person, 
uh, people who uh, have lived the experience of caring for somebody with dementia, people who work in nursing homes, have all come up and said, you know, that's exactly how it is. This is how people with dementia operate on, a, on an hourly basis. And the, the reaction to it has been quite genuinely phenomenal. I mean, is it your hope to try to give people a different view of the whole area of dementia? Completely. And, you know, after the play is over, I say this every night to the audience, that, you know, the, the peop- there are more than just the three Marys in this nursing home. There are other people who also suffer from memory loss. And as I always say, that the characters on stage are what we call in Ireland dementia statistics. But behind that statistics is a human being. And, you know, the, the, the audience fall in love with the three characters, the main characters, very quickly because they're lovable characters. Uh, Mary O'Toole is a, a religious uh, person with, with, a, with a great devotion to Our Lady of Knock. Mary O'Neill, on the other hand, is a Londoner who married a Kerry man. <laughs> and uh, she relays her stories of, of England. And then we have Mary O'Brien, a very quiet uh, lady, you know, who thinks everything is great, even when she hears somebody, uh, you know, has died at the age of 78. She says, well, isn't 78 a lovely age to die at? Uh, <laughs> so she's one of those lovable characters who has actually travelled the entire world as a nurse. So, yeah, it is. It's about trying to uh, educate an audience and entertain them at the same time about the fact that this is reality. This is what happens to people who have memory loss. And that instead of looking at them as a statistic, we should look at them as a human being. And, and you know, and I think the, the central message of the play is that if you know somebody in your uh, home county or in your own ho- uh, wider audience of, of uh, contacts that has dementia, maybe go and see them. They may not know who you are, but if you make that effort, an awful lot of the time carers will say that, you know, for caring for somebody at home with dementia, one of the biggest challenges they face is that nobody calls because everybody yeah. thinks they shouldn't you know they have to step away when in fact you should really come up to the place and say to that carer look is it okay if i come over and see johnny or mary for an hour or if you want to go and get your hair done you know and he's in good form you know i can stay with him so uh, yeah it is there isn't a, a level of, of trying to educate people about the realities of dementia well, tell me what prompted you to write about what is you know it's a very serious subject well, as you know, I work in radio, and about four years ago on World Alzheimer's Day, we got a call from a lady after the program was over. And, you know, we had done the usual thing, as we all do, uh, Patricia, on World uh, you know, uh, Alzheimer's Day. We talked to the stakeholders, and we talked to, to, to people, you know, who've lived the experience. But this lady said to us, you know, because I have written previous plays, she said, look, you know, I'd love you to write a play about it. And I said, well, look, I only write comedy plays. And she said, "I trust me, she said, there's an awful lot of funny incidents in our house with my husband, James, uh, who's been diagnosed with dementia for four years. And she said, this is what prompted me to write it. You know, she said, nobody calls anymore. He was a cattle dealer by trade. The house was always really busy uh, because people were calling and he was always you know, working with cattle. And then when he was diagnosed with dementia and he couldn't do that anymore, she said the phone stopped ringing, the doorbell didn't ring anymore, people stopped calling. And she said, it would be just great if you could get that message out there that, you know, people with dementia are still, you know, ultimately the same people. They have the same heartbeat, the same tears, the same smiles, the same anger, uh, the same ability to try and enjoy music if that's what they liked. In, in the play, for example, there's one character called Packy, and he spends most of his night fishing. Now, he's not fishing in reality, but there's a hook uh, in, the, in the ground. And that's, you know, that was an actual experience that I saw in a nursing home. 
uh, a nurse showed me a, a gentleman who was a, an avid fisherman. And all he ever asked for when he was brought to the nursing home was, can I have a fishing rod? And eventually they came up with this great idea of putting a hook in the floor and he gets his fishing rod every Friday and he fishes uh, uh. to his heart's content. Uh, so these are the kind of stories, these are, are, are true stories that we try to articulate through the play. So, so did, did you do a lot of research? I did a fair bit of research because I have nobody in my immediate family circle who has suffered with, with memory loss. So there was an element of, of uh, talking to dementia nurses and carers and visiting nursing homes. And really it was based on, on that, that, that uh, the idea of just developing three central characters and a whole host of other characters around them uh, that, that spurred me to do the actual play itself. And as I say, you know, I've written other plays. It's the real McCoy. Nobody's talking to me. Uh, and they were great plays. They were comedy, rural Irish comedy, full-blown comedy with, with you know, just uh, not a very, I suppose, serious undertone. But I'm really proud of this play because it has stood up. It, and what I love about it is it has longevity. You know, uh, somebody could uh, revisit this play in 10 years' time and redo it again, and it would still be current because, unfortunately, the statistics tell us that the numbers of people with dementia in Ireland will increase significantly over the next 10 years. Yeah, and, and, and I, I mentioned at the, the start of the programme this morning, I was at uh, Darrow Brian, uh, the Irish comedian. He was uh, live at the Marquee uh, last night. And this particular show, he's dealing with finding out as an adult that he was adopted. And then that heartbreaking journey of trying to trace his birth mother and the obstacles that were put in his way with all of the redacted birth certs and misinformation that was given uh, to him. And it was like a really serious subject in the middle of this comedian who had us howling inside in, in the marquee last night. So it, it is possible to do it. It is possible to do it. And, and, you know, I say this every night as well. You know, we all, and I don't say this lightly, you know, people at the end of the show, they just stand up uh, because we finished the show with a song which I wrote and it was written from the perspective of a person with dementia and it's called I'm Really Still the Same. And it's sung by the main characters in the play. And even though right through the night, uh, I would say every 10 to 15 seconds, there's belly laughs going on mm. for two hours and sorry, for one hour and maybe 45 minutes. And then when it comes to the stage where the three Marys are saying goodbye to each other, it gets really, really sad. And uh, you can hear a pin drop. And from a playwright's perspective, that's the ultimate. If you can get them to be you know, laughing all night and then hear a pin drop at different times during the play, then you you've know that it, it resonates with, with us. Yeah, you, you, you've nailed it. Would you like people whose lives have been touched with dementia, are they particularly people you'd like to see come along? I'd like to see everybody come along, but I would particularly like to see people who have maybe lost a loved one to dementia or, or, you know, in the last number of years. Because, again, you know, we always do the meet and greet after the shows, and we hadn't done that since COVID, but in recent weeks we've started to do it again. And the numbers of people, Patricia, who come up and say, you know, I hadn't laughed uh, since my husband died five years ago from dementia, and this was the best therapy, you know, that I could have given myself. Uh, is, is quite touching and you know you also get younger people coming to the show who have maybe grandmothers with dementia and and who said they didn't really ever understand you know that they that you know that they saw this individual as somebody with memory loss not as a person and 
you know, so, so I would love to see everybody come along. I know when we were in Limerick uh, about three months ago, uh, one of the dementia managers in the health service down there came to see it on the Thursday night. And the following night, she brought 10 of her student nurses to see the play. Uh, and, and she felt that this was a play that anybody who's involved in healthcare should, should actually come along and well see. Done. So that was well a, a great endorsement. Well, you, you, you're a very clever and talented playwright, so I'm not surprised at all to hear those kind of responses coming uh, from, from your tour. And am I right in saying that next next weekend, it's the Saturday and Sunday, 2nd and 3rd of July, in the Everyman here in Cork, is that your final two performances? It is, because, you know, we, we actually did this for about a year and a half pre-COVID, and uh, then obviously COVID hit. So we came back again, and we've been touring uh, since, oh gosh, we're in, uh, we've been touring since January, and we've been literally all over the country. We do three weekends in every four. Uh, the cast obviously have other commitments as well, and everything does reach its natural conclusion. And I, I actually don't believe there's another tour in it, although I could be very wrong. I mean, after the seven nights in the Olympia, um, you know, the promoter said to us, look, you know, you could have done another seven nights here. That's no problem. So I'm not saying that it won't come back, but, you know, we have other plans. I mean, it's 10 years since I wrote the play It's the Real McCoy, which was really... The, it's hard to believe it's 10 years. ...springboard uh, for me. And we're doing a, a, a very quick nationwide tour from uh, August to December to celebrate the 10 years of It's the Real McCoy. After that, I don't know, uh, but I certainly think Three Hail Marys will come back in the future, probably not for two or three years, but uh, certainly we won't let the dust settle on us for okay, too long. OK, but this is, this is the final run of this particular yes. uh, tour. Tickets are setting and they're setting fast, folks. Everymancork.com are the booking office 021-450-1673. 021-450-1673. And it's not this weekend, it's the following weekend, 2nd and 3rd of July. Pleasure as always to talk to you, Tommy. Thank you for that and enjoy your time in Cork. Thank you very much, Patricia. Anne, who was a carer, she said for 15 years, she said her message to anybody doing a caring role is you just have to be kind to the person, particularly somebody suffering from dementia. person Anne was caring for was so happy to just be at home and not having ended up in a nursing home. But Anne does admit it was hard at, at times and any carer, I think, will identify with that. Thank you for that, Anne. Texting 0862 103 103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. Our final Christy Moore tickets to be given away and we'll go to the movies at Mark. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As the peak travel season begins, the GAA, which operates Dublin and Cork airports, has said it cannot guarantee Irish holidaymakers will escape the chaos that has hit British and European airports this week. With words of advice, I'm joined by Pat Dawson, who is Chief Executive of the Irish Travel Agents Association. Good afternoon to you, Pat. Good afternoon, Patricia. And, and you're very welcome. Now, already this morning, uh, Dublin Airport is coming out. They're saying that this now is going to be the busiest weekend uh, since before the uh, pandemic. Uh, people can expect delays, can they, in Dublin Airport this weekend? I'd say yes, but uh, I think there's 51,000, Patricia, going out today alone. It's such, so it's a, it's a, some amount of people as such, and there, there's bound to be with that, even in the best, with the best will in the world. And things are, have improved in Dublin. 
I know Cork is just absolutely brilliant. Uh, flew over it not so long ago. It was, I was ten minutes from the front of the building and onto the onto the the parter gate as such. So it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and that was, yeah, it, expect delays and to take the advice of the DAA as such. We're we're that bit little better off than 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 Britain as such. And uh, we're hundred flights have been cancelled daily over there. So uh, we're, we're better than that as I speak to you. And it's the same across uh, other European destinations as well. Is all of this, is, is the lot of this down to staffing issues? It is a lot. And, and what happened was, as you know, I mean, the, the industry was shut down for two years. So people said, look, I have my bills to pay, I have fees to pay, I have whatever else to pay, and I just can't hang around. And they just left, and and then you know um, people went back home to, to to their own countries as well uh, to be with their families. So it's a combination of everything. And then there was a redundancy package by the DA for over a thousand people. And the problem with that is, it's good for the people that got it, but you you cannot buy your way back in until two years uh, after after you, you took the package. So from that point of view, it was a perfect storm, so to speak. And then added to that, this weekend, there's threatened strike action by some airline staff. There, yeah, there, there are. But remember that if uh, people uh, know this, if you're on a based aircraft, in other words, if the aircraft is based in Dublin and, and, and overnight in Dublin or an overnight in Cork or Shannon, whatever, it, they won't be affected. The, the problem is at the other side, that aircraft that start with, say, it be Spain or Portugal or wherever, uh, early morning, uh, there's crew, there's crew issues there or staff issues there, and and they may be affected. So I, I think you know a lot of the airlines based their aircraft uh, in our airports and such, uh, but anyone that's coming home on a based aircraft uh, could be affected. Um, I don't know. I've I've been I'm in Dublin at the moment, so I'm meeting stuff, so I haven't up to date on it, but certainly they were threatened. God, it, it, travel can be stressful at the best of times, but this is just added layers of uh, stress. If, as you say, Cork, if we could only all get every one of our flights out of Cork Airport. But there was a bit of good news from Cork Airport this week. I mean, additional flights are coming down the line, aren't they? They are, yeah, yeah, just the, the additional winter routes. And, you know, I mean, uh, we, we've spoken to the Department of Transport and they're going to have to look at a situation where, you know, the airlines just not can't, like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll jump into Dublin. I mean, they should say, if you, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you know, if you want capacity with Dublin, well, you've got to take capacity over the Cork as such. And, and I mean, airlines get big, huge incentives uh, to, to fly out of airports and, and, and they get great incentives over the Cork as, as well. So we just can't if everyone wants to leave at between six and nine o'clock in the morning. And that's where the chaos is. So I would say that the uh, airports will look at it today. We'll look at this uh, incident and say, look, at, if you want capacity out of Dublin, all this capacity, well, you've, you've got to support Cork as well. And, I, you know, the road I say to people in Dublin, I say it's the same road going down uh, to, to Cork as it is going up to Dublin Airport. So if four or five hundred thousand people can travel up to Dublin Port, five hundred thousand people can travel down to Cork to go yeah, to Cork Airport. Yeah. Yeah. and have a great experience and uh, absolutely and, and anyone anyone who has travelled out of, of Cork particularly since uh, flights have started returning everyone has and talks about the exact same experience that you mentioned there it's it's a joy to fly in and out of the airport yeah and, and it's a bigger joy to land at home yeah, as you know, yeah that's what I love yeah that's <laughs> yeah, what yeah. I love it's oh. true but, uh, but look at we have to in our industry as you know yourself Patricia we, we have to keep positive and, and work as hard as we can yeah but for those who are venturing out uh, via Dublin this weekend 
uh, the general advice is what? Arrive early, but don't arrive too early. Yeah, I mean, it's it's two and a half hours uh, uh, for for European and three and a half hours if you're going long haul, and particularly, you know, go, would you have uh, the, the immigration at the, the USA? And that that's another uh, snake line of traffic, but I've gone through that as well. And you just, you know, t- t- if you go too early and everyone goes too early, you're making the, the situation worse. And, and it is, there's no question about it, but it is improving. And uh, I, I, I think uh, now with, with staffing level comes up, and everyone in Dublin has their shoulder to the wheel. I, I think the experience will improve. But look, just be prepared for you know maybe an hour delay or whatever else, and be mindful of that, particularly with you know older people or, or with family. Yeah, I don't know if you've got a chance to flick through any of the papers today. One of the papers this morning had horrific photos of uh, people arriving into Dublin Airport yesterday and the day before and how dirty the arrivals area was. Now, I can confirm I flew back into Dublin Airport about two weeks ago and I could not get over how dirty the toilets were in arrivals and there was bags all over the place. I mean, they still have an issue. That's yes. that's down to staffing. Yes, oh, they, 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 they do have. There's no doubt about it. And it's you know, it's we're, we're at thankfully we're at nearly full employment, four percent unemployed, and and there's uh, anyone wants to work, there's there's jobs in this country for them, and it's uh, I, I don't know maybe people got used to the fact that they were, they were getting a lot of help from the government and and stuff, which we, which are, which many many uh, industries, including our own, did as well, and, and the government did a very very good job on that. So I mean. Um, uh, and then we, we, you know we need people from abroad to come in and maybe help us out but it, it is uh, and it, that sort of, of, of the situation you know a place not being tidy and uh, is not really a great doesn't send out the right message to so our, I, our I, Listen I tell you I was embarrassed because there was Americans uh, yeah. had arrived and uh, it was just it was cringe when they walked into the ladies toilet it was really really disgusting That's anyway, terrible not acceptable Yeah, yeah no, absolutely not acceptable Okay you might be able to uh, answer this question a caller is worried about travelling to Heathrow next week they're going out of Cork to Heathrow with a connecting flight for Australia what happens if she misses the connection well what will happen is it's a true ticket I presume uh, uh, the booking is on the one ticket uh, which I, I presume it is yeah. and uh, you know she'll have to be because it's guaranteed uh, if, if there's a problem with the connectivity like they'll have to overnight the person and, and fly him or her out the next day so they, it's up to the airline uh, that's, that's taking her out of Heathrow to, to ensure that uh, she's accommodated at the earliest possible flight so once it's, once it's if it's two tickets there's a problem but if it's one true ticket, as we call it in the business, she's fine. Which is, Here. which obviously is a good piece of advice. If you are booking a long haul, make it one oh. one through ticket. Wow, yeah, abso- absolutely, uh, because. But be, be, be the airline in Dublin or the airline taking out a Heathrow, they're, they're both responsible to get you there. So they can't just run away and say, no, it's not my problem. Once it's, as we call it, uh, at the one ticket, as you say. OK. All right. You're always a mind of information, Patis, and we appreciate that. And thank you for taking time out to talk to us. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon to you, Pat Dawson there, who is the Chief Executive of the Irish Travel Agents Association. And we wish bon voyage to anyone who is heading away this weekend. 
particularly if you're one of. They reckon 200,000 people will depart from Dublin Airport between today and Monday over the next four days. And I'm assuming that's got a lot to do with uh, the start of the school holidays. The, the primary school children are a lot of them breaking up today. I'm assuming that that's what it is and people heading away have a lovely time. 0818 103 103. Will I do this? I will. Let me go to this next. This is Christy Moore, our final pair of tickets. Christy Moore live at the Marquee. He plays live at the Marquee tomorrow night. As I told you earlier, I was in the Marquee last night. Fabulous, fabulous venue. And there's a lot of excitement building about this man coming to town. got so many great hits we were spoiled for choice in the five songs we collected we selected this week name that song please what is the title of that Christy Moore track John Paul's not giving much away there is it <laughs> sing it in your head and uh, you'll eventually work out what the song is okay so we need the title of that song please along with your name and address and it's by text or whatsapp only please don't call us text or whatsapp to 0862 103 103 and we will leave the text and the whatsapp open for about 10 minutes and then we will select today's winner final pair of tickets to go see the wonderful Christy Moore when he plays live at the Marquee tomorrow night June 25th tickets available at ticketmaster.ie The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county see corkcoco.ie A fundraiser for the Make Done Manway an autism friendly town initiative will be held tomorrow it's a darts display by three world world five times world darts champion Raymond Barney Van Barneveld. A great night is assured. Lots of prizes and music and tickets are available through ticketstop.ie. Ballinhas Community Development Association are holding a fundraising KD. Marion Hall tonight, dancing from half nine to half twelve. Admission 10 euro and it does include teas. Mushra platform are having their first dance of the season. Now it's on the original platform on the slopes of the Mushra mountain. That's uh, tonight. Music is by Jeremy Coakley and Lee Sound from half eight to half ten. No cover charge and all are welcome. And Ballyhay community are launching a monster raffle this weekend. Now it'll be launched at the Charleville show in an effort to raise funds to build a new preschool. Great prizes in the raffle. It includes a Hyundai i20 holiday voucher and cash. And you can check out more on their Facebook page, which is Ballyhay Preschool New Build. And the Better Life Cycle Group have organised a fundraising cycle in Clonakilty. It's happening tomorrow. Two routes to choose from and registration is available through Eventbrite. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Some of your comments uh, coming in. Hi, uh, Patricia. What was the name of the play that you spoke about earlier with the gentleman? The gentleman was uh, Tommy uh, Marin. I missed the end of your chat and I was intrigued as I've been working with people with dementia for 10 years myself and would love to check it out. Okay, the play is called The the Three Hail Marys, is what the play is called. And it's on in the Everyman, not this weekend, next weekend. It's on on the Saturday and the Sunday. So booking through the, uh, through the Everyman, either the box office or you can get them online 
and the reviews. I was looking at some of the reviews yesterday in advance of Tommy joining me online. Everywhere where it's gone, it's kind of it's they're coming to the end of a nationwide tour with the play, and everyone says it, it it's an exceptional play. It's very funny. But it's very poignant uh, as well. So it'd be a good night out next weekend, Saturday and Sunday night in the uh, Everyman. And thank you to Dave, who was on to say a thank you to us because he was on to us yesterday. He had been at the Pet Shop Boys gig in the Marquee earlier in the week. And when he got home, he realised he had lost his ticket stub. And he's one of those people that collects. Some of the people like to collect the ticket just as a reminder of the, all the different concerts they've been to. So he asked us, was there any way that we could get, if somebody maybe had a ticket stub who was there, we're willing to pass it on. Or could Ticketmaster reissue another one? And I was saying there wouldn't be a hope of Ticketmaster reissuing another one. But we put a shout out to see if there was anyone did have, happy that the Pet Shop Boys, and was about to put their ticket stub into the bin. And would they kindly pass it on to our Dave? And lo and behold, Esther was on straight away and said absolutely only too happy to do it so David's back on to say thank you so much big hi but a special thanks to Esther so well done Esther you have made Dave's week and Middleton GAA Bingo Marion has been on to say would you give a mention to that it's at half nine this evening and social dancing is on tomorrow night to the wonderful Michael Sexton if you want to go along there some of your texts coming into us okay I don't know if anybody else is affected or how others are feeling about this a listener is on about the Charleville show which is on at this weekend sounds like a fantastic a day out for all of the family but the listener has just discovered that it's 20 euro entry to get in and this is assessed to myself and my family to go which would cost us 120 uh, euro absolutely crazy the summer show wasn't even that expensive if you look up similar shows around the country the cost of entry would be half of that it's frustrating and disappointing as we were looking forward to going but that simply is too much money to fork out on tickets especially in today's economic climate and I don't know I mean I'm assuming it's all adults we're getting in because normally for any of these shows they'll do a family pass you know I know certainly for the summer show they, the Cork Summer Show, there was a family pass that you could get, that, you know, they would have two adults because we were certainly giving away family passes for two adults and uh, up to, I think it was four uh, children. So do I take it it's all adults that were going in? We did discuss the price of summer shows and these summer fates and festivals that w- would be going on around the country because the rising cost of everything, but in particular the rising cost of insurance, all of the organisers of all of those shows were forced to push up, pu- push up, put up their prices. I don't know what the Charleville show was pre the pandemic. So unless somebody can tell me how much, how much has it gone up by? John Paul is telling me to point to the screen. Okay, the adults are twenty euros, students are fifteen, old age pensioners are fifteen, and children under twelve are free. So I'm assuming that this listener, uh, if she's saying that the cost of the tickets will be one hundred and twenty, it's six adults. Are any of them students? Could some of them get in? for 15 euro I wonder but as I say I don't know how much the cost was before but I'm assuming if we get on to to Charleville show they'll tell us that you know they don't like putting up the ticket prices but everything like that it's like going to concerts we were only recently talking about the Bruce Springsteen concert how much more expensive the Bruce Springsteen concert is in Ireland versus when he's in mainland Europe and the organisers and the promoters saying it's the cost of insurance is just absolutely crippling but it is disappointing if you were particularly looking forward to going to something and suddenly you discover it is outpriced. And hi Patricia, I was listening to Richard Bruton last night on Prime Time and to Dara O'Brien, our housing minister in the Dáil. 
it's like we're being programmed not to question the government's stance on migration into Ireland. It seems like this government have the same the same populist line for Europe to say yes to everything. I'm not in agreement with that. I'll bet no one in the government will see any rationing of any sort should we arrive at that problem. They need to start listening to the people who elected them and stop ramming their own agenda down our throats. I feel our country is turning into a dictatorship. We seem to be going down the route of China and Russia. Somebody very disillusioned with our country at the moment. And that's my tech. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And when we mentioned somebody was disappointed to see the child of a show was 20 euro, I still don't know how much it was pre-pandemic. Um, it's 20 euro for adults, 15 for students, 15 for an old uh, no AP and children under 12 are free. John Paul just does a quick look around other similar shows around the country and the prices are similar. It's anywhere between 15 euro and uh, 20 euro. The only place you're going to get similar shows is up the north and that's because the insurance is cheaper up the north than it is down here. So it is insurance and the cost of everything everything else has gone up in order to stage these uh, shows and it's official now we have a new mayor of Cork County for the following year and it is as predicted councillor independent councillor Danny uh, Collins he's just been elected as the new mayor of the county of uh, Cork it was at the Cork County Council's annual general meeting this morning. He, of course, Danny Collins, Bantry-based councillor, represents the West Cork Municipal uh, District. And I know I, I was chatting to Danny late, uh, uh, lately when he when he wasn't able to say for sure he was you know he was saying he wasn't counting his chickens until all of the votes uh, were counted. But I know he sees it as a massive honour to be taken on the role of the mayor of Cork County. So congratulations to West Cork Independent Councillor. Danny Collins, our mayor for the following year. Mark Malone. Let's go to the movies with our Mark Malone. Good morning. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you went along this week to see the new Top Gun movie that there's been so much talk about. And then you also watched another movie called Moonfall. Okay, we're going to take a little quick trailer from Top Gun. This mission is going to take you and your aircraft to the breaking point. Your skull crushing your spine. Your lungs imploding. Fighting just to keep from blacking out. Here we go. No turning back now. Now this is Top Gun Maverick as opposed to the original Top Gun. When did the original Top Gun come out? Was it 30 years ago? It was, was certainly it? sometime in the 80s oh, anyway, oh. yeah. I mean, I, I actually saw it in the cinema. I mean, that's 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 how old I am, Patricia. Um, did you see, you, I presume you've seen the original oh, film. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And we all, all the girls swooning and we all fell in love, <laughs> we all fell in love with Tom Cruise. He did look very well, yeah. but that was about all that was good about him in that original film, I think. Um, look, I, I wasn't particularly fond of the original film. I didn't like the character of Tom Cruise. I thought he was a bit, he just seemed to grin his way through the whole thing. I thought it was all very macho. I didn't think he was very good in the film. You know, it was very early on in his career. Obviously, he's gotten better over the years. And I didn't like the, the I didn't like the politics of the film either. But what was extraordinary about the film uh, were the aerial, um, was the aerial 
through photography. Um, and that's what I very much liked about it. It was directed by the late Tony Scott, uh, the brother of Ridley. It was brilliantly directed. Um, but as I say, I wasn't particularly fond of it. So when I heard that they were going to make a sequel, I was kind of thinking, well, how is this going to work and how are they going to do it? And will it be better? I'm glad to say it is better. It's, yeah. it's way better, actually, I think, than the first film. I mean, over the years, Tom Cruise has not only become a, a much better actor, I think he's become a much better producer. And you've only got to look at the Mission Impossible films, I think, uh, that he's made. I mean, the quality of those, they just seem to be getting better and better and better all the time. So when he approached this film, obviously with the, the last few years with CGI very much kind of dominating uh, so many films, he wanted to do it for real, as he does with most of the time uh, with the Mission Impossible films. Well, if you see him clang, clinging to the yeah. side of a plane, he's on the side of the plane. Yeah, he's noted for that more so, I think, than any other actor in that he does all his own stunts. He does. And that's the thing. And so he wanted this film to be um, as real as possible. There isn't a huge amount of CGI, but there is some. Some has to be there, of course, obviously. But what he wanted to do was the aerial uh, photography and the aerial shots. He wanted the um, he wanted all of the people involved to actually be in those planes. So what they had to do is they had to develop special cameras to fit inside the planes. And when you see the actors, you know, in discomfort, you know, um, having to deal with kind of eight or nine Gs or whatever it was they were kind of flying at. It's for real because they are uncomfortable. Many of them got ill uh, during the making uh, of the film. So at least, and that's what's, and that's for me, that kind of does give it an, an kind of sense of excitement when you're watching it. Um, the thing is, is that, I mean, there is a huge sense of um, this film very much being like the first film. And I think somebody online has actually done that. It's a very interesting piece where they've put, they've cut side to side a lot of the, um, the scenes that are very, very similar. Uh, for example, well, instead of the volleyball scene here, they play uh, football on the beach. And there's, there's scenes that are very, very similar uh, to the first film. But at least this one does seem to have its own kind of sense of personality. And the director is a man by the name of Joseph, Joseph Kaczynski. I don't think he doesn't have uh, too much of um, a kind of a history of kind of filmmaking behind him. So I do wonder just how much control he had over what we initially you know, saw uh, on screen. Uh, you know, this has Tom Cruise kind of written all over it, I think. And there is um, a dogfight battle, for example, about three quarters of the way in the film. And it is one of the most exciting things I've ever seen. I mean, it is brilliantly done. It's beautifully filmed. It's, it's, it's beautifully directed. And uh, you've got a pretty good cast. Mind you, I, I would have liked to have seen more of the cast do a little bit more. For example, Miles Teller is an actor who I, I admire a great deal. And I wanted to see more of Miles. I wanted to see more of Jennifer Connelly who unfortunately plays the girlfriend and isn't really given very much to do, which I think is a bit of a shame. It's Tom Cruise. It's the it's a Tom Cruise movie. There's a lot of flying, um, but that was fine by me. I mean, I was very excited by it. I, I really was. I thought it was terrific. And is there a decent storyline? The, the storyline is interesting because basically what happens is that when we first meet Tom Cruise in it, he's now a test pilot and he's testing this new jet. But unfortunately, he pushes it too far. The jet crashes. So but instead of um, asking him kind of to leave, they basically said, look, you're going back to Top Gun, but you're going back as um, as as a teacher, basically. And you, what we need you to do is because we're going to send you on basically a kind of a suicide mission. And you need to be able to coach and train these pilots to be able to survive this incredibly dangerous thing. And what's interesting is that they don't mention who the enemy is, which I thought was very interesting. Because I noticed this straight away when they said, look, you know, the enemy have this and we need to destroy it. But they never say who the enemy is, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, 
so yeah i mean look i i, I it was way better than i thought it was going to be um it's way better for me than the original film and i'd certainly recommend people to watch this and it, it all it appears it was something that tom, tom cruise particularly enjoyed making well, it's all flying. It's what he loves to do. Yeah. I mean, for was it the most recent Mission Impossible film? He learned how to uh, fly a helicopter. And then next thing on screen, all of the stunts he's doing on screen, it's him. He's flying the helicopter. I mean, he's he's uh, he's quite talented with this kind of stuff. I mean, um, you know, I don't know if you saw the James Corden most recent uh, film where he and Jay, he brought James up in his plane and he starts doing stunts with the plane. I mean, he... He likes to live dangerously. He does, yeah, he does. He absolutely does. And he's one of those divided people. You either love him or you hate him. But I, I think as, as an, I think he's a fine, fine actor. And I agree with you. I think he's improved over over the years, and he's only getting better. Okay, so Top Gun Maverick, starring Tom Cruise, market out of ten. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be close to a ten, but as I say, I wanted more Miles Teller. I wanted Jennifer Connelly uh, more on screen, and I think uh, otherwise I would have given it a ten. Um, I'll give it a nine. A nine out of ten. Okay, now your next one is a sci-fi movie called Moonfall, which is without doubt one of the dumbest films I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> Halle Berry. It's, say again. Halle Berry's in it. Halle Berry is in it, yeah. The, the, the main star is a man by the name of uh, Patrick Wilson. Uh, the other star is John Bradley, who you might have seen in Game of Thrones. Uh, this is directed by Ro- Roland Emmerich, who is kind of famous for making these ridiculous, over-the-top kind of sci-fi, end-of-the-world movies. And up until kind of now, really, they've all been pretty entertaining up to a point. I mean, he made Independence Day. He made The Day After Tomorrow. He made Godzilla. He made uh, the most recent Independence Day film, which wasn't as good. And, you know, when I kind of come in here, when I talk to you every Friday and I talk about just how dumb movies have become, uh, the most recent Fast and Furious uh, film is a very good example. And I do wonder the writers, when they sit around, I'm sure they're just laughing at us. I mean, I I really do. I think they're just laughing, going, this is the most ridiculous thing uh, I've ever written. And it doesn't make any sense. But who cares? We're going to put it on screen anyway. Uh, With this film, this is a science fiction film where the moon is falling out of its orbit. And I believe on set they did have an astronaut to to help guide them along the way. And (laughs) the astronaut would constantly go, you do know that's not possible. <laughs> and they would go, look, it's just a movie. Shut up. Go away. <laughs> and and that's, it seems to be like they just don't simply care in movies, a lot of these movies anymore, just what can be done, what is real, what is ridiculous. And it's almost, and, but, but I get kind of insulted, actually. Look, I don't mind turning my brain off. I mean, I did it with, um, with a number of Emirates' films. I mean, I, I, everybody loves Independence Day, I think. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a great movie. And some of these end-of-the-world movies have huge kind of effects, and there's a lot of that here as well. But the, the whole thing, the whole concept of this movie is very, very silly. The moon is going out of orbit, and it turns out that a conspiracy theorist online, uh, the, the character here played by John Bradley, uh, knows before anybody else, before any of the great scientists of the world, that the moon, the moon is falling out of orbit. And he is and he is insisting that the moon is a man-made star. Men have made the moon. And so Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson and John Bradley have got to go to the moon and to discover why it's going out of orbit. And it is just the silliest bunch of old nonsense I have ever seen in my life. It really is. 
I mean, they're constantly doing things that we don't have the technology for right now. And the, the script, it's almost like nobody's really you know, wrote a script. They're just reacting to what's happening. And, um, and it's dreadful. It's terrible. I mean, it really is. And I'm kind of disappointed in Roland Emmerich because at least, as I say, his films are brainless and silly, but at least they're kind of entertaining at the same time. Uh, this was just so silly. I just, I could not kind of warm to it at all, even though I really wanted to. Halle Berry, um, it's very strange. It, it looks to me as if, you know, they've got this technology now where they can make people look really, really younger. Yeah. And and it's almost like they've used that technology on her throughout the whole film. There's one scene where they didn't, where she looked her Rage, age. Yeah. But at, most of the time, it's like they're using this kind of uh, technology on her. So her face looks very strange and very odd throughout the whole film. It is an odd film. It's strange and weird and stupid. And I, I couldn't like it. I just couldn't. OK, it's called Moonfall. Market out of 10. Uh, three. Three. Three out of ten. All right. Okay, this is Mark. Uh, thank you for that. Have a lovely weekend. We'll chat next Friday. Talk to you then. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. When I was mentioning and talking about the airport to Pat Dawson of the Irish Travel Agents Association, I was saying, I didn't know if you'd seen the papers, but in one of the papers, I think it was the Daily Mail today, they had photographs that were taken yesterday and this week of people returning into Dublin Airport and they took photographs of just how dirty the airport was. And there was photographs of the toilets being particularly dirty, the restaurants, no, no, any of the food hadn't been cleaned off the table and, and people anyway were sending their photographs in and were quite disappointed about how unkept looking Dublin Airport was. A listener makes an interesting point, says it's not the fault of the airport if the toilets are dirty. It's the people using them who leave them that way. Cleaners can clean and have a toilet absolutely spotless and all it takes then is one person to come in and make a mess two minutes after the cleaners have been in. People can be very ignorant and it's the attitude is, Usher, leave it. There's somebody there getting paid to clean up. And this is from Nora, who signs herself Nora, an ex-cleaner. I know what I'm talking about. Somebody's just pointed out that uh, Top Gun, um, uh, Tom Cruise's Top Gun, it's nearly a billion it's made worldwide already. Okay, it's critic proof, uh, says this listener. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you on Monday at 10. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., when your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.